from their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. It is 11 o'clock in Arizona, 10 o'clock on the West Coast, and 1 o'clock on the East Coast. And we welcome everybody, regardless of where you're listening, to the Boom and the Babe Show. Uh, I'm Pete Peters, and uh, this is, as I say, the Boom and the Babe Show, and we're going to be discussing some interesting conversation, having some interesting conversation today for the next hour or so. And our guest has just called in, so we're going to get to her very shortly. But I just want to remind everybody to go to our website, if you would, please, boomerandthebabe.com. See everything else that we're involved in, the book publishing and so on and so forth. that uh, that we do and that Deborah handles for that that side of our business, which she's with some clients today, as a matter of fact, so she won't be joining me. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we also have the online magazine Boomer Experience Speaks, and you can sign up for that by going to our email sign up section there and uh, put in your email address, and you will be receiving that free to your inbox every four to six weeks as we put the new ones together. Many of the people that have contributed to the, those uh, articles and contributed to the magazine are guests that have been on the show. So uh, we hope that you'll find some of those things interesting, and then through a link you'll be able to listen to their shows uh, if you had missed them the first time out. So take a look at that. As I said, I'm Pete Peters. This is the Boomer the Babe Show, and I can see that my guest is on the line. And let's, is this Sarah? Hi, yes, my name is Sarah Khanna. How are you? I'm fine, Sarah. Pronounce your last name, please. It's it's actually a two name like Mary Jo or Betty Lou. It's Sarah Khanna. Oh, Sarah Khanna is the full name. Okay. It is the full name. A little Very challenging. Nice. Very, <laughs> fair. No, not at all. Once you know. Uh, well, welcome to the show. I'm glad you could. Uh, I'm glad you could join us today. Uh, you are a homeopath, correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, a homeopath, herbalist. Uh, businesswoman, raconteur, <laughs> anything else you may want to throw in there. A little uh, bit of a type A personality, yes, definitely. Uh, okay, very good. So uh, what I do is I'm, I I began with what is called being a lactation consultant, which meant that I helped women with breastfeeding problems. And then I was so enthusiastic to see how what baby's breastfeeding behavior, behavior was in their first 24 to 48 hours of life that I trained to be a labor assistant, and I started helping to birth babies. And then what happened was I went back to school to become a classical homeopath and an herbalist so that I could help tr- help treat women um, with the problems that they were challenged about. And then after I started treating the new moms, I started treating their mothers. So my practice became very large. So I started treating newborns when they became toddlers, when they became teenagers, their mothers and their grandmothers, and then their grandfathers would tag along. So my practice really grew over the 20 years to incorporate a family practice. And when you say family practice, you're talking about the whole family. The whole family with alternative medicine. So what my clients do is they'll go to a doctor, they'll get a diagnosis, they'll get the protocol of the doctor, and then they come to me and we discuss whether that protocol is the appropriate protocol or whether they would like to incorporate complementary or alternative medicine with that protocol. So one of the things that I'm a very big advocate is is actually incorporating alternative medicine with conventional medicine, knowing that conventional medicine does not have all the answers, and alternative medicine can really benefit with a lot of the options out there with conventional doctors. So I try to um, get rid of that fear of incorporating both in a person's life. Well, let's talk a little bit about what are some of the uh, methods or some of the things that we would recognize with regard to uh, answering the question, what is alternative medicine? Uh, I'm, I have a list that I think it is, but I'd be anxious to hear your list and see if they match. Sure, and we can go over yours, of course. So alternative medicine's philosophy is very different than conventional medicine's philosophy. Alternative medicine's philosophy is to work with the body. Alternative practitioners believe that the body is a self-healing mechanism that given the right 
components, be it food, exercise, sunshine, etc., that the body will be able to heal itself. In a healthy condition, you can be out and you're cooking something for dinner and you cut your finger with a knife and, you know, you run some cold water over it, you never put on any antibiotic cream, and all of a sudden a week later your finger is healed. You haven't done much except, you know, maybe keep the area clean in order for it to heal. So we really... When 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 I work with a client, I take a complete history. Um, what foods do they eat? Do they or do they not exercise? What kind of stress do they have in their life? Um, do they have a good relationship? Do they not have a good relationship? And then I come up with a plan to try to keep them as healthy as possible. And here was an interesting study that was done. They found five brothers whose father had gotten heart disease and whose grandfather and great-grandfather had all suffered from heart disease. And they took these five brothers and they decided they were going to do some intervention with three out of the five. With three out of the five, they changed their diet, they made sure they exercised, and they did marriage counseling. With the other two, they just let them go the way they were going to go their own way without intervention. And they found that the three brothers that had this intervention did not develop heart disease, and the two brothers that did not have that intervention did develop heart disease. So well, what there, we, there certainly is um, evidence, more and more evidence all the time, that the various forms of alternative medicine uh, work. And there are many instances in many cases now where the the regular MDs and so on and so forth and even special cancer specialists, as an example, yes. may recommend that people use alternative medicine in conjunction with uh, whatever they're they're being uh, however they're however they're being treated by the by the medical community, uh, the MDs and so on and so forth. Absolutely, and what was interesting about this study is that you can see that their genetic predisposition was to incur heart disease. It was in their DNA, meaning they have a propensity towards that. But when intervention took place and they cooperated with it, they did not get that pre-inherited condition that they could have become victim to. So I think that, you know, we are as tall as we are. Some of us, you know, you know, gain weight easily. Some of us are naturally thin. Some of us, you know, has stronger eyesight. Some of us have weaker eyesight. But there are many, 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 many diseases that I think people believe they're just going to get because it's in their family, whereas we're showing that you don't have to get that disease necessarily, and there are steps you can take to prevent that. And it's very interesting. I remember when I first became a practitioner, I had a newborn baby in my office with the mother and the grandmother. And they're sitting there. And the, the newborn mom looks at me and she goes, you know, Sir Hana, I don't know if you have any suggestions, but, like, I'm so constipated. And the mother looked at her and said, you know what, honey, that's life. We're all constipated. And I looked at the grandmother and I said, wait a minute. You don't have to live your life being constipated. She goes, oh, I've always been constipated. My mother was always constipated. I'm like, wait, let's sit down. Let's analyze your diet. Let's um, add some herbal um, supplements to that. Let's see if we can get you to stop being constipated. So I think people kind of get really comfortable with things that are happening to them naturally and not feeling like they have the ability or the tools or the skills to be able to stop that. Uh, uh, Prune juice always works real well. (laughs) (laughs) Prune juice, and I like carrot juice. It tends to be a little bit less gassy. So carrot juice first thing in the morning before anything else in your system will soften your stools and help you have an easier time. When I think of alternative medicine or uh, naturopathic methods and so on and so forth, I think of such things as acupuncture and acupressure, massage, biofeedback, herbs, yoga. Uh, are, are, Are we in the same ballpark there? 100%. Absolutely, I agree. And those are all wonderful modalities. The modalities I've chosen is homeopathy and herbs. But when I take a history of a client, sometimes I will refer them to an acupuncturist. I may refer them to a craniosacral therapist. That's someone you did not mention on your list. And I will absolutely refer my clients all the time to massage therapists. So, yes, we're thinking along the exact same lines. 
So at what point do you make that uh, referral? I mean, uh, uh, let's say that they've come to you either with or without the referral from uh, a physician, an right. MD, and uh, at that point then you say, well, maybe you should go here and see this person for uh, massage or or yoga or whatever. At what, at what point do you make, in your process, do you make that decision? So I do have two different modalities that I work with, so I'm pretty confident that I can get my clients on the road to their healing by using one of the two modalities. I take a complete history. I spend my first hour just finding out everything I can about that client, as I said, from diet to exercise to supplements they're taking. I take a complete history to find out what kind of illnesses their parents and their grandparents had so I can assess what direction I think we need to go in. Between the herbs and homeopathy, I've been pretty successful in getting clients to where they want to get um, physically. Um, I might refer a person to a massage if I feel that they're a mechanic working for hours and hours on their feet, um, lifting heavy things, um, maybe a waitress who's, you know, on her feet all the time, you know, carrying um, heavy plates in an abnormal way, or even someone that's a secretary at a desk that spends a lot of time with her head to the left side as she holds the phone in her ear, Playing around with her computer, I would possibly refer her for a massage because she may not be doing the physical activity that she needs. So I really want to understand what that person's lifestyle is for. Cranial sacral work um, is a very gentle form of healing, and it tries to see where you have stuck energy. So a person that's sitting at a desk all day long will probably have stuck energy in their thighs and hip area. Um, if we have someone that's driving a car all day or, you know, a, a bus driver or a cab driver, you know, may have tension in their hands and their elbows, and a cranial sacral therapist will try to do different acupressure kind of techniques to relieve the tension that's in the area that they're overusing. How about such things that I, I've, I've recently been um, exposed to via a a client of mine uh, that is into massage and she supposedly was trying to train massage therapists or help place massage therapists is probably a, a better word and there was, she was at an event and she wanted me to come to it as and possibly do some videos which I did uh, and, and there and there was a toe reader wow have you ever heard of anything like that? I've never heard of a toe reader. What does a toe reader do? Uh, I she was sitting on the floor cross leg in front of somebody and reading this person's toes like you read their palm, I guess. I I don't know. Wow. Uh, I saw it happening and I said, "Well, I don't think I want to be there." Uh mm -hmm. I, I just kind of went to where I was going to take the videos and <laughs> right. see it. And I'm I'm not trying to make light of it, but I mean it was certainly something that was out of my comfort zone, let's put it that way, and um, right. and I just and I just wondered if that was if you'd heard of that and if that was an, uh, um, uh, another form of uh, uh, of healing of, of, of healing or therapy, and I don't know. Well, I can tell you this: that there are a lot of people that are naturally intuitive, and there are people that are trained in the modalities. So I personally am trained, meaning I did five years of classical homeopathic training and I did 250 clinical hours. In breastfeeding, I did 2,500 clinical hours. You know, I, I've worked in clinics. I mean, I tend to be very, very trained, but I remember this acupuncturist telling the story, and you're going to love this because I'm not going to give it, I'm not going to explain it completely correctly, but there was this woman that went to one of the most famous acupuncturists, and he was a trained, trained um, acupuncturist. And this woman sat in front of him and said, my spiritual guide told me that this little valve that connects, his, that connects my kidneys to another organ is not working properly. And he looked at her and said, who? She goes, yeah, my psychic told me that I'm having a problem with this little valve. So the acupuncturist, you know, rolled his eyes and said, oh, my gosh. And he spent the next hour, you know, looking at her tongue and checking her different pulses and taking her history. And after the hour, he looked at this woman and said, oh, my gosh, your psychic was right. 
So when I heard him teaching, he was saying that, you know, there are those of us that are schooled and there are those people that really intuitively can see things. So maybe our little toe healer, you know, had this intuitive ability to see through someone's toes what's going on. But I think the most important thing when a person is choosing an alternative practitioner is to make sure they've gone to school and studied. Because I may have a feeling about a client, but I want to look it up medically. I want to hear what all the thousands of other MDs and alternative practitioners are thinking about the possible um, diagnosis that I'm coming up with. So I think it's really important to make sure, because even if someone's intuitively understanding something, there's still going to be someone a little bit smarter that can guide that person. So I'm a little strict with my clients that they really use practitioners that are trained. You uh, you do some work with... Uh people's thought processes kind of like uh, mind over matter, don't you? Um, I don't know if I would say mind over matter because I really believe that the matter is true, but I know that people have these little monologues or these dialogues that go on in their mind that are not necessarily true to the reality, and I can give you a perfect example if you'd like to hear one. Sure. Um, I was working with a a girl who was about 23 years old, and when she was 8 years old, she had been living in a foreign country, and her father became, um, he needed to be hospitalized for an emotional issue, and the mother realized that being in this foreign country was not going to be the support that she needed, so she decided to bring her five children back to the States, um, bring the husband with him, but he needed to be hospitalized, and she needed to restart her life in the States. And this young girl that was my client was eight years old at the time that this happened, and she was quite a bit uprooted to um, America. And, you know, she had to deal with, you know, new friends, new schools. She had a lot of relatives here, and her mother um, ended up building a very beautiful life for her. But when this girl sat on my, uh, you know, in my office, all she spoke about how was she didn't have support and she had been abandoned and she didn't have anybody to turn to here and she felt very much alone. And I looked at her and I said, don't both your grandparents live like 10 minutes away from you? She's like, yeah. I said, doesn't your mom live within 30 minutes of you? She's like, yeah. I said, and, and all your other siblings, your, your your other siblings, don't they live really close? She said, Yes. I said, I've got to tell you honestly that I don't think you're abandoned, and I don't think you're alone in this world. I think what happened was when you were eight years old and you traveled here, that was the really true feeling you were having. You felt like you were leaving your friends. You felt like your stronghold was, you know, you were being uprooted, and I believe that that was a real feeling you were having. I said, but, you know, I don't think that's your reality anymore. She said, oh, my gosh, Sarah Hannah, what do you mean? I said, look around you. And what happened was she was playing out this fear and this this emotion that she had at eight years old, and she had never changed the recorded message in her mind. So we spent a lot of time her making lists of what her reality really looked like, how she had two sets of grandparents to go to, and she left my office realizing that she was in a whole different place than she really thought she was. And so that's when you say mind over matter. I mean, you need to understand where the programming is coming from. I mean, there are people that are truly abandoned in this world, but this girl was living out the wrong message, and therefore whatever physical problem she was having, in my opinion, was due to the wrong message playing in her mind. So, yes, as a practitioner, I will try to psychoanalyze a little bit where my clients are coming from because I believe that the body represents what's going on in our minds. So a lot of people that have chronic stomach aches really can't stomach what's going on in their lives. Um, The belief with alternative practitioners is when people have thyroid conditions, the thyroid is around where the throat is located, and a lot of those people spent their life not being able to say what they want or they felt they weren't being heard 
Um, we believe that people that have Alzheimer's, um, very often, yes, it is a physiological problem, but the start of it is that a lot of people don't want to remember things they had in their lives. Because one thing about Alzheimer's patients um, is that they remember exactly what they want to remember. There are certain key things they remember, and they do not remember things they don't want to remember. So we know there is a mind-body connection, and I hope that's answering your question. Well, I, recently we had uh, had a, somebody on the show who was uh, uh, an intender. Uh, his whole his whole business and uh, his whole sole purpose in life and his mission is to have people uh, realize their intentions and and. Yes. and uh, I and we in, and they would state what their intentions were on a daily basis, and they would have these intender circles across the country. He's got he's got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah, and and uh, and it was very interesting for him to uh, talk about uh, how one's intentions can uh, can can direct their lives, and I found myself being somewhat. Um, convinced. Yes. Uh, as as somewhat of a skeptic myself, I I found myself being somewhat convinced because I do know, and I know this as a fact, and I relate a lot of things to the fact that I play golf and whatever else. Mm-hmm. But if I if I start giving myself positive self talk, uh, and and about my golf game, about the fact that I'm feeling well, I'm going to play well, I'm going to be able to concentrate and so on and so forth, whatever the case might be, that I have a better chance of that happening. If I'm standing in front of a water hole and I said to myself, don't hit the ball in the water, the last words that I hear in my, in my mind are, hit the ball in the water, and guess what happens? It yep. goes in the water. And so therefore, I, I that's what I'm referring to when I'm saying, uh, mind over matter, because you can, I do believe, uh, almost will yourself uh, and will your will your health and concentrate on your health. And he was saying, as an example, and you might find this interesting, that he had somebody that has had an illness, and he said, what you need to do is concentrate on light at that spot where your illness mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Light, very intense light, and then white light, and then just hot light. And, yeah. and, and as the light grows and it gets more and more intense, that it will actually start to take care of the problem. Yes. So I am very much a believer in intention, 100%. But I want to just say this little point is that, you know, there's the old story of, you know, the little boy that goes over to his father and he says, I don't believe anymore. And his father said, why? He said, because I've been praying for a red bike for the past three months, and a red bike has not appeared on my doorstep. And the father said, well, it may just not be the right time yet for you to get a red bike. So I think that intention is a little different than the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Yes. So, you know, we can we can have the intention that we hope someone's going to put $100,000 under our door. And we can every day have that thought like, oh, my gosh, we're going to, you know, I need that $100,000 to be put under my door. And, you know, for most of us, that $100,000 is not going under the door. In order to get that $100,000, we are going to have to, you know, go back to school, get an education, get a degree, you know, get a job, you know, do a lot of hard hours. So I think that I love intention, and I believe with healing, your intention can make or break it. And I believe that with your health, that's true. But I think that understanding your circumstances and your limitations are a real important part of understanding the power of intention. Does that make sense? Yes, and uh, it, it does. And and I and I'm in agreement with you. And I think and I think that what this gentleman was saying was that just sitting there and sitting in your chair and putting out these intentions right. that it was going to come to you. He wasn't saying that at all. Right. Uh, right. He, he was. There. There are some. There's some things that you have to do uh, so that the atten- the intentions will come to pass. You have to put you have to put things in motion. For right. That for time. sure. I mean, it's, now, it's like that old thing about, you know, you're sitting on the shore waiting for your ship to come in, and you just never send a boat out in the first place. Right. Uh, you know, you've right. got to send something out so you know, something to come back. For sure. Now, I'm a mother of seven children myself, and, you know, I can sit here all day long 
and, you know, hope that this happens to my child and put out energy, you know, that they get their 100% on their test and, you know, they may come home with that 92. So, you know, that's what I think, I think that's a little disorienting, disorienting for some people when we discuss the intention. Now, I know that, you know, when I tell a person, you know, that I want them to try to just walk a mile a day and they're like, oh, Sarhana, I can barely, you know, get down two streets. I'm like, okay, so you need to really know that physiologically you can walk 10 blocks. You've got to have your mind in the right place. You've got to make sure you're doing breathing and you've got to, you know, walk that 10 block in one direction and walk your 10 block back. So it's very important that they have the proper intention because if they walk out there saying, I know my knees are going to hurt, I know I'm going to run out of breath, I know I'm going to get there and not be able to come back, and I don't know what Sarah Khan is saying, and who needs to walk anyways, it's so much easier to just sit in front of my TV. You know, they have to have the proper intention so that they don't, you know, block that energy that's going to get them their 10 blocks and back. So I agree 100%. But I'm not going to have that client do a three-mile run just because I know that that's going to be best for them. So, you know, we have to, as practitioners, really see where our clients are at, what their strength level is at, what their nutrient level is at, and really devise a plan so that that client can get from step A to step B feeling good about themselves so that they're going to take the next step to get from step B to step C. So, you know, my intentions and my thought processes with them is really to see where they're at to make sure they can get to their goals in an easy way where they constantly feel good and not overwhelmed. Yes, and then they can realize their intentions. Right, exactly, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I mean, you can't – I can't say – that I'm going to go out and I'm going to shoot a subpar round of golf today when I've never shot one in my life. Right. I mean, <laughs> that makes sense. You know, and I haven't played golf in nine months. And but today I'm going to go out and I'm going to shoot subpar. Right. And no, 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 that just doesn't work that way. It's, right. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, there's a lot of people that play golf a long time, practice a long time, spend a lot of money on coaches, and they still don't shoot subpar. Uh, right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the herbal uh, herbal things that you use so people can gain strength and maybe uh, recuperate faster and so forth. What what type of herbal remedies do you uh, do? So, you again, use? you know, one of the questions is, can you mix herbs with conventional medicine? Excuse me. And the answer is you can with lots of herbs and certain herbs you need to stay away from. So I point out to people, um, you know, that are over 35 that a lot of, our, our our patients and clients out there are on a lot of medications. And you have to understand that there are no clinical studies done on polypharmacy, meaning if someone's taking a blood pressure medicine and they're taking a cholesterol medicine and they're taking a diuretic, all of those medications have been researched individually but not totally, not not all being given at the same time. So when it comes to herbs, I mean, a lot would depend on whether a person is taking medications or not taking medicines. So if a person is not taking medication and they wanted to begin with herbs, there's a class of herbs called adaptogens. And adaptogens are herbs that help balance the body and give the body strength. So there is an herb called rhodiola, and rhodiola is an herb um, that helps lift a person's spirit and helps give a person a lot of strength. Um, there's another herb called ashwagandha, which is in the ginseng family, that can also help calm nervous people and give them a little bit more strength. So those are herbs called adaptogens. They're things that people can look at um, on the Internet. I have some articles on my on my website called sarahana.com where you can start to begin to read about adaptogens. Um, And then there's food herbs. And food herbs are herbs that people in countries all over the world eat. And there's an herb called dandelion. And dandelion we use with excess fluid. Um, It's very, very healthy for the kidneys. Um, People that tend to have water retention, people that tend to feel like bloating, and especially good for my blood type O clients is an herb called dandelion. You can eat the leaves of dandelion. You can make dandelion tea. You can take, this is an herb you can actually take in capsule form, 
and you can take it in liquid form. Now, I do want to talk for a moment about the difference between herbs in capsules and herbs in liquid. Most herbs do not capsule well. Think about your parsley. You take your parsley, parsley just, you know, the parsley that you cook with, and you leave it on the shelf too long and it starts to turn yellow and it starts to crumble. It loses its potent green color. So one of my problems with clients taking herbs in capsule form is that we don't know how long they've sat on the shelf. We don't know how long they've sat in the storage house. And we don't know the quality of the herb to begin with. So herbs do best in what is called a tincture or a liquid form. If if a client does not do well with alcohol, because most herbs are in a grain alcohol, you can get it in a glycerite, which is a sweet um, plant fluid often made from coconut. So if a person wants to begin with herbs, of course it's always best to work with an herbalist. I tend to be a Western herbalist, Chinese herbalist. Like you you'd mentioned in the beginning of the conversation was acupuncturists tend to use Chinese herbs. I like to use herbs that grow locally. So when I was training with an herbalist once, um, he said if you would like to heal a person, just see what herbs grow around them. So I live in a city. I live in a very crowded inner city. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, wait, this is not fair. I don't live in a beautiful suburb or the country. I live smack in the middle of a city. I said, what kind of herbs grow around the city? So he handed me a medicinal herb book. He said to me, walk around your neighborhood and open up your eyes. And I walked, I dragged my husband with me. He's like, okay, lady, we'll do this, thinking I was a little crazy. We walked through the city streets and through the cracks of the of the concrete, I saw herbs growing. And in my immediate neighborhood, I saw ginkgo growing. Ginkgo is specific for memory. It helps increase your memory, and it's wonderfully used with asthmatics. And in a city, people have trouble concentrating, and they have trouble with asthma. That's where, you know, inner city kids are suffering with asthma. I turned around the corner. I found a burdock plant. Burdock is good for any skin issues, and it helps cleanse the liver. And people that are living in cities, breathing in all that smog and that smoke from the cars, they need to cleanse their livers. Walked right around the corner, saw an herb called mugwort. Mugwort is a phenomenal herb to help, well, I use it a lot to help um, regulate women's menstrual cycles, but they also say that it helps you understand your intuitive sense, that if you're deciding between two jobs, if you drink a cup of mugwort tea, it'll help you um, go with what your intuitive feeling is, and it's also good for stomach disorders. So walking, you know, two blocks in one direction, I already saw all these medicinal herbs that were specific for city dwellers. How fascinating is that? Well, it is pretty fascinating. And then I imagine you went around another corner, and on somebody's window shelf you saw another herb growing that you can use for hallucinogenic uh, <laughs> reasons, and re- <laughs> provided yeah. you know how to roll it, right? That, that, Absolutely. That's, that's another <laughs> herb. Uh, that's a city herb if there ever was one. Um, on every corner. But what's, what's fascinating? Let me, let me ask you yeah. this. Sure. Can, you, you mentioned dandelion tea. You mentioned yes. uh, er, uh, uh, er, ergwort, was it? Mugwort, yes. Yeah. Uh, now, wh- is there a case where you could mix two or three together in the tea so they can be serving several purposes at once? Oh, or- yes. When I now here's another you know um, alert. If you get a product from a health food store and it's got like thirty herbs in it, put that that product back on the shelf because nobody needs 30 herbs at the same time. But an herbalist will pick five to six herbs to, you know, to try to approach every problem that that client is having. Um, So we do mix herbs all the time. Like let's say I have someone with chronic sinus infections. So I'll just throw out these herbs, and I understand these are herbs that most of your listeners and yourself are not familiar with, but I would choose an herb called elderflower, which is a natural antihistamine. I would mix it with an herb called Yerba Santa, which is it will actually help thin the mucus. 
and it will it's for upper respiratory infections. I may use an herb called golden seal, which is antibacterial and antifungal because a lot of our um, sinus infections are anti that have a fungal component to them. And I would probably mix an herb called lemon balm, which is very calming and soothing and antiviral. And I would mix all those herbs together in what is called a tincture form. A tincture is when you take a plant and you put it in grain alcohol and you let it sit for six to eight weeks and the alcohol actually um, brings out the properties of the herb into the alcohol then you strain it and then that is called an herbal tincture so i mix herbs all the time depending on the needs of my clients absolutely you can mix herbs wow amazing this whole thing with the herbs uh i i I understand that there are uh, CoQ10 and uh, stuff yeah. like that for the heart and and yeah. and whatnot. But uh, I also have been told, and I think basically what you're saying here is that when you start looking at the health food stores and you're looking at these stores that sell the herbs and so on and so forth, that you really have no guarantee of what's in that bottle because they're Absolutely not, not they're not they're not governed. They're not inspected from the standpoint of strength and purity and, uh, and and so on. So you may have filler in there. You may have any number of things, I would guess. Yes. Uh, so that's the reason you're suggesting to, to make your tinctures. Well, I will tell you, I mean, I don't know if you want me to say the, the, the companies that I feel confident with. I mean, I, I'm not part of those companies, but... There are there are three herbal companies. Uh, well, now, now let me just say, go. You go right ahead, and, and if, if you're if you're confident, then you know. I'm totally to, confident. Yeah. Yeah, and, and people have to understand that you're not prescribing anything here, but nope. you're just saying these are these are companies you use, and 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 right. you have your reasons as a professional to do that, and I have no problem with you giving those names. Okay, great. So I'll tell you why I like these companies. So one company is a company called Herbalist and Alchemist, and the. The man that runs the company is a master herbalist named David Winston. Now, I've been to his plant. I've seen how it works. What they do is they take the plant, either fresh or dried, depending on what is in season. They first inspect and identify the plant. Then they put it in grain alcohol, and they let it turn into a tincture, which takes between six and eight weeks, and then they strain it. Another company is an, a company called Herb Farm, which is herb, then P-H-A-R-M. Another company is called Gaia, G-A-I-A. And another herb company is called Eclectic Institute. And another one is called Healing Spirits. Now, all those companies use only pure herbs, either distilled in grain alcohol or a glycerite. And that way you're getting one product. You're getting no fillers. You're getting nothing except for the herb. And that's how people used herbal medicine for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I'll give you a perfect example. Garlic is considered an herb. If you look it up in old Materia Medicas, onions and garlic are considered an herb. Now, a garlic is a, in, in cold weather, garlic is a very, it takes a very long time to grow. It can sit in the ground for 8 to 10 months or even 12 months. So what people all over the world used to do was they would take their vodka or their grain alcohol that they were making and they would put their garlic cloves in it so that the garlic would stay fresh throughout the entire winter. And when you wanted to cook with it, you would just take it out of the, grain, out of the alcohol. So that's what we're doing with plants. So the companies I discussed, they have herbal combinations like you can get a sinus infection mix or you can get a urinary tract infection mix, but they're just plants. They're just plant life. They're not made in a pharmacy. They're not adulterated. Um, these companies use plants that are organic, not sprayed with pesticides. So I feel very confident. Now realize I work with newborns. I work with kids that are four months old. I work with kids that are five months old. I, In my practice, I deal with a lot of chronic ear infections, chronic strep throat in children. And you better believe there is no way I'm letting these cute little adorable babies get any kind of fillers, and I'm not getting anything that sat on these shelves for too long. So I buy them directly from the companies, and I know it'll say what the lot number is, when it is processed, so I have 
total confidence. I also deal with pregnant moms, and I'm going to make sure my pregnant moms are getting the purest form of medicine out there. That's why I get a little concerned um, with um, Chinese herbs, and I know that Chinese herbs are phenomenally um, effective, but when you say there's no regulations, I'm a little bit more concerned about herbs coming in from other countries, whereas the herbal companies I spoke with you, you can call the herbalist, you can speak with him, you can meet with him, you can ask about his education, and they're very open, these companies, to telling you exactly where they're getting their products. Now, what is uh, uh, where are they located? I mean, are they all in your area? or and, and oh, no, where they're is, all over where? the place. Um, uh, a company called Wish Garden is in Colorado. Um, Herbalist and Alchemist is in New Jersey. Um, Herb Farm, I think, is also on the West Coast. No, they're, they're, they're dispersed around the country. So if somebody wanted to uh, call you and talk to you about uh, possibly – doing something online or over the phone or whatever you yeah. can do that you can do that correct well what's fascinating is i've begun doing skype and skype appointments are great i never liked just doing it on the telephone because i couldn't see their reactions and i wanted to see you know when i asked them a question you know sometimes sometimes you'll ask a person a question and they'll say oh yes and meanwhile they've got a frown on their face so i really like to see my clients so you know with modern technology i skype clients all over the world i was just on the phone with someone from the ukraine i recently was on the phone with someone in, on skype in asia so yes if you go into my website which is sarahana.com s-a-r-a-c-h-a-n-a.com um, I have uh, my email address is there, and I also have my office phone, and um, we set this up all the time. It's really exciting. Wonderful, wonderful. What what is it? Uh, I, you've you've sent me some notes here, and I'm kind of looking them over as as we're going here. Mm-hmm. What is eating for your blood type? What kind of a diet is that? What is that exactly? So because I, I've heard of this before, and I'm thinking, you know, this sounds interesting to me. So tell me what that is. Well, there is a doctor named Dr. Diadamo who I've met and spoken to and um, hope to be teaching a class in one of his clinics um, upcoming. And he, his father actually did research. He was a naturopathic doctor on how foods affect different people with different blood types. And I have to tell you first how I how I found out that this works, my office manager was very into the blood type diet, and I used to say, oh, my gosh, the last thing I'm going to do is put my clients on diets. Let me just treat them herbally and with homeopathy. And, you know, it's so hard. People get really acclimated to the foods. You know, they have their little habits, and I'm not going to break it. So I deal a lot with colicky babies, babies that scream and yell and scream and yell, and they go from gastroenterologist to gastroenterologist, you know, pediatrician to pediatrician, and they end up on my couch. And they're like, fix me, Sarahana, because I am a baby specialist, by the way. And I had this one client, and we had tried herbs, we had tried homeopathy, we had tried everything, and I said to this mom, listen, you're out of everything. You've done Zantac, you've done Prevacy, you've done everything in the in the entire world. Why don't you start eating for your blood type? So we sat down, and we found out her blood type, and I gave her the blood type diet, and within two weeks, this baby stopped screaming. We were like, What? We were shocked out of our mind. And now over the past 10 years, I can tell you that nine and a half, if not nine and three quarters out of 10 screaming colicky babies, if they eat right for their blood type, the babies stop crying if they're breastfeeding. So here where we go. It is considered that your blood turns into your breast milk, and they consider breast milk white blood. So what happens is is that the way the woman is digesting her food is the way it's turning into breast milk. Now, I know most of your listeners are not breastfeeding people out there, but let me explain how this works. If the mother is not digesting her food properly, it makes it uncomfortable for the baby to digest that food. So what I found over the years was that when the mothers that were eating properly for their babies they started feeling better. And it was amazing. My blood type O moms that always struggled with weight, that were always chubby. We have two types of blood type O's. We either have the chubby people that are constantly on diets, constantly trying to lose weight, or the very, very thin blood type O's. I've never found really an in-between. My chubby blood type O moms that went on the blood type diet, they would just lose like 10, 15 pounds in the first six weeks. My blood type B clients 
are clients that always struggle hormonally. You find me a blood type B man or woman, and they're going to have hormonal problems. They tend to get moody easily. They tend to have issues with hormones. And the worst food in the world for blood type Bs is chicken. Chicken is very high in estrogen. Chickens, the female chickens, they make a lot of eggs. They're very high in their estrogen, and my blood type B clients cannot break down that estrogen. So when I take my blood type B clients off of chicken, they start feeling better. So it's called food medicine. So even though I'm a homeopath and, and an herbalist, which I love and I see work so effectively, choosing the correct foods for your blood type is probably the cheapest, most inexpensive way to begin to get healthy. Well, I do know that when uh, when my uh, when the mother of my daughter, my my former wife, was pregnant with uh, our daughter, uh, and the the child uh, would when she was still carrying the baby, the child would react differently based on what she would eat or drink. Yes. And, and I mean, it's it's like oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. She's kicking the hell out of me. Uh, yep. You know, whatever the case might be. So there mm-hmm. is definitely a connection, and that's a non-scientific way of of, dis, uh, of of knowing it. It's just because that's what happens. Yep. It's real simple. It's what happens. It was yep. happening in front of my very eyes, you know. And yep. now, of course, being the father, I could just put my hand on her belly, and the baby would instantly go calm, which is wonderful. Because that's Amazing, my power. isn't it? Because, because that's my power. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But not, but nonetheless, I I know for fact that uh, that what you eat works. I know that when I eat certain things, I don't feel as well as I would right. normally. I mean, it right. just goes it goes without saying. So I think that Dr. Diadamo is really onto something. I mean, I don't think that the science is complete. I don't think we have enough clinical science on it. But I can tell you this: after having analyzed this for the past ten years, when a woman sits on my couch and gives me her history. Without her even telling me, I can guess her blood type. Because my O's tend to have more gallbladder problems. They tend to have more circulation problems. My blood type A's tend to have more high blood pressure. Um, uh, My blood type B's have hormonal issues. So I can really see it, and it's kind of shocking. It's because I'm, you know, I don't consider myself an intuitive. I am an intuitive person, but I'm not an intuitive healer. And I really take a history, but after seeing and analyzing the blood types and the way their problems manifest, the way their health issues manifest, I can see right away um, what their blood type is. So I'm a big believer in eating for your blood type. I think that no one's going to transition right away. I think when people read the book, Eat Right for Your Blood Type, that they need to begin slowly. They need to eat the beneficials and the neutrals he speaks about, stay away from the avoids. And I think that over a three-month period, everyone will feel better. Uh, I I would agree that uh, eating right is uh, is the key to a lot of uh, a lot of people's uh, mental outlook on life and their physical well being as well. Uh, let me uh, we got a couple of last things I want to touch base with you here. We're getting down to the we're into the home stretch. Um, uh, what is the what is all the deal that I hear about uh, essential oils? I mean, there are people that are involved in multi level marketing of essential oils and. I mean, what do you do with an essential oil? I mean, I think of an oil, and I go, "Is this something that I put in the frying pan and cook with?" Uh, <laughs> you know, what, what are what are essential oils exactly? Well, I was and just what, on, and what do you do, and what do you do with them? I'll tell you, I was just on CBS New York, uh, in CBS LA um, last week. I was in LA, and I was invited on to a CBS News show. So, if you Google Sarahana CBS LA, you're going to get a five minute. Um, interesting where I visually talk about essential oils. So that's on CBS LA last week, and it's a little five-minute clip people will enjoy. Essential oils are taking the essential oil of the plant. They have a process where they basically squeeze and get the oil out of the plant. Now, essential oils are wonderful, and they're really easy to use. Now, when you breathe in essential oils, um, it can make you happier, it can make you calmer. It can help reduce um, stuffiness and congestion in your nose. There's a lot of things that you can do with essential oils. Now, 
because our nose is a is a pathway to memory, you know, you can walk into someone's home and smell an apple cake um, cooking and you go, oh, my gosh, I remember my great-grandmother used to make that apple cake. Or, you know, you can walk into someone's house and you'll, you know, smell that strong cup of coffee and you'll remember last week at a business meeting that you also had a really great cup of coffee. So smell is very, very important to people. And so I like to use essential oils in very simple, simple, simple ways. You can use them in very complex ways. You can buy very complex diffusers. Um, But some of the simple ways to do it is you can take an oil like grapefruit, and it's made from the skin of grapefruit. Grapefruit essential oil is one of the best pick-me-ups. It's got this cleansing um, smell. It actually gives you energy if you're in the low, you know, midday, you're exhausted in your office, you can have a little bottle of grapefruit essential oil on your desk. You can put a couple drops of it on a tissue and inhale it. You will be amazed at how invigorated you feel. You can also take grapefruit oil. You can buy a little teeny tiny spray bottle. Um, if you ever go to rent a car and the car just doesn't smell nice, instead of putting, you know, another kind of smell, uh, I forget what you call them when you hang them in the windshield. You can Deodorizers. Yeah, thank you. You can just spray a little grapefruit, um, watered-down grapefruit essential oil all over the car. It'll smell wonderful if you're traveling during the holiday time and you're going to hotels. And, you know, some hotels have great smells and some hotels have that hotel-y smell. You could just put a little grapefruit, spray it around the room. You could burn it in a diffuser. You could put a couple drops on your pillow. Um and make the room smell nice. Now let's talk about an an oil called lavender. Lavender oil is a wonderful um, essential oil. Actually, a lot of clinical studies have been done with lavender, and they find that there was a study done in a geriatric home, and they found that when they waved lavender oil through the... um, the air ducts that a lot of their clients could stop taking their sleeping medications. So lavender is a relaxant. When people travel, I suggest my clients carry a little bottle. They're quite inexpensive. You can buy a little half-ounce bottle. You can put a couple drops on your pillow before you go to sleep, and you can just breathe in the lavender. Um, if you're going on a plane and you're a little agitated, you can bring just, just have a hanky in your pocket with a couple drops of lavender. It'll stay on that hanky through most of the flight. Um, that's another oil. Another oil is an oil called wintergreen. Um, it smells like December. It's made from wintergreen trees. It's a beautiful smell. And if you wanted to dilute that with a little bit of olive oil and rub it on the inside of your nose if, during, a, during a cold, you'll breathe in the vapors of the um, wintergreen. You could also put that directly on your pillow when you go to sleep. I mean, you can buy expensive diffusers and diffuse them you know, throughout your, your apartment your house, your office. Um, Another great idea that I spoke about was they find that people get sick by inhaling the viruses and the bacteria. So kids that have chronic strep throats, what we do very often is we take an antibiotic cream and we swab the insides of their nose so when they go to school they don't pick up strep throat. So my clients that travel a lot, what I have them do is I have them get a little teeny bottle of tea tree oil you can put a little olive oil in a cup, put a couple drops of it, and they swab their nose before they go on airplanes because all you need is someone next to you sneezing, and you're likely going to get that cold. And if you have tea tree oil, which is antiviral, um, you tend not to get that cold. How fascinating is that? That's amazing. That's amazing. Now I know what oils are good for rather than just uh, taking care of the squeaky door. Absolutely. And you can use them in a massage oil. I mean, if you tend to have um, muscle pain, you can use some St. John's wort oil made from the St. John's, from, from, um, uh, from, the Saint, from the plant, and you can massage some St. John's wort oil into sore muscles. Um, if, you can also use an oil called plantain oil. So a lot of these plants can be used in so many different ways. Um, I'll touch upon one more oil, which is called rosemary essential oil. A lot of my clients that are sitting for exams, if they're sitting for their CPA exam, a lot of my college students, if you breathe in rosemary, it increases the blood flow to your brain and it helps with concentration. So a lot of my clients, before they sit for very intense exams, will have in their pocket a tissue or a hanky with a little rosemary oil and they can you know, rub their nose or breathe it in as much as they want and it helps them concentrate. Wow, excellent, excellent. Well, let's say now that somebody's listening to this or has been listening to us for the last hour or so and they've decided that they want to find an alternative practitioner, how do they do that? 
Um, you know, word of mouth is the best. Um, I would certainly ask um, friends and neighbors and practitioners. Um, there are certain guilds, like I'm what is called a registered herbalist, um, and so there's called the American Herbalist Guild, which is AHG, and they have a website, and they're extremely reliable. I think that that's the first place I would go. Um, to be a AHG herbalist, you have to have practiced for a minimum of 10 years, having worked with over a 1,000 um, clients. You have to have... Um, attended many, many years of training, and then you still have to get screened by the board. And it took me three months to prepare all my information. Um, I gave them 10 case studies. I had to talk about different herbs. So I think American Herbalist Guild would be the best place. Um, you can email them. You can speak to them, and they'll tell you about the registered herbalist in your area. Because when you're dealing with an AHG herbalist, you are dealing with someone who is very schooled in the area of herbal medicine. And each one of us specialize in different areas, like I'm an herbalist that's also a homeopath. There are herbalists that are also aromatherapists. There are herbalists that are acupuncturists. So I think that if you go to the AHG, you're going to really get, you know, those educated herbalists that you need to work and with. A real, and a real cross-section of the various disciplines as well. Absolutely, uh, yes. Well, I, I tell you, it's... Uh, I've learned something today. I mean, I learn something just about every day that we do this show. But what I learned today is that there really is a degree of professionalism in, in what you do. It's not just somebody decides that they know how to mix up some stuff and say, here, try this tea. I mean, there's there's rhyme and there's reason for this. And yeah. uh, and it's and it's well studied and it's... Uh, it's it's documented at some level, and and you have the documentation based on what you've done with your clients and your uh, and, and your uh, people that you service and, and work with. So absolutely, uh, and I work with pediatricians, I work with obstetricians, I work with surgeons. Um, it took me a long time to get the doctors to have confidence with me. Um, I do send my clients to get MRIs. I do send my clients for sonograms and blood tests all the time. Um, I read the results. I speak to the doctors about the results. So I think that there's a lot of alternative practitioners that are really well-schooled and really are working to work with their practitioners. You know, I tell my clients all the time, if your child breaks their arm, please go to an, an, an go get a cast on your arm, go to the emergency room. I said, but then come back and I'll give you a homeopathic remedy called Arnica, which will help heal that wound. So people like myself and people that are AHG herbalists are not afraid to work with doctors. We're really happy with what um, conventional medicine has to offer us as alternative practitioners, and we love to educate our Western doctors on what's available to them and their clients with alternative care. Well, I will I will say this. Uh, uh, there are some people that I'm aware of that uh, are involved in some various uh, products, let's see, um, supposedly medicinal products <clears throat> and a multi-level marketing type of uh, an arrangement. And one of them uh, says from time to time that when I when I hear the I hear the talk that uh, because you have pain, it doesn't mean that you have a shortage of uh, of Tylenol in your system. So there's other things to take, mm -hmm. yeah. and 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 that that's the message. Now, I think that could be a message that you could use as well. That just because you're having difficulties doesn't mean that you're short on Tylenol or you're yeah. short on acetaminophen or whatever the case might right. be. So, absolutely, uh, we're down here to the end of the end of the rows here, the short rows, as I say, and um, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to give your shameless self promotion. So uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us. Uh, and the listeners, how uh, how they can get hold of you if they have questions or want to uh, get involved in one of your Skype conferences or however you uh, work that, uh, give us your contact information. So the best way to reach me is on my website, which is sarahana.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-A-N-A.com. I'll say it again. That's S A R A. C-H-A-N-A.com. I have an email address there, and I have my office number, and I look forward to discussing and helping all your listeners find the path that they would like to find in their struggle or their goals with healing. Well, thank you very much, Sarah Hanna. It's, uh, it's been a wonderful conversation with you, and I Obviously, you are very schooled and very well and very knowledgeable in what you do, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to be with us today. 
Thank you so much, and your questions were so appropriate and so wonderful. I really, it was a pleasure doing an interview with you. Thank you for taking time. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it as well. Have a great day. All the best. And have a good Thanksgiving as well. I'm going to start cooking soon, absolutely. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right, take care now. Feel good. Be well, bye. Well, that is uh, Sarah Khanna, and she is uh, an herbalist and a uh, naturopath, I guess you could call it actually a homeopath, I'm sorry, a homeopath, a herbalist. Uh, and you can uh, uh, give her a call at sarahana.com and see everything that she's involved in and contact her if you have needs. So with that, I'll say uh, goodbye for today. We'll be back with uh, another program tomorrow. We hope you'll be able to join us. Uh, Have a great day, everybody, uh, and we'll talk to you very soon. Take care. You've been listening to the Movement Debate Show, where we bring interesting conversation to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we tweet as Boomer and Babe, and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at BoomerandTheBabe.com. Email us at host at BoomerandTheBabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 